Hello and welcome to the Cleontel podcast with me, Robin Allender. And this week I'm going to be speaking to my good friend, Kate Connolly. When I was originally approached by the band to do this podcast, my first thought was, I need to speak to Kate. And that's because about five years ago, I posted something on Twitter about how there are certain albums that I always listen to around autumn. Uh, There was some Sandy Denny on there and some Bell and Sebastian. And I asked for other autumnal music recommendations, and Kate replied with Suburban Light. And I haven't looked back since. Uh, I was was unsure how I hadn't heard it before, really, but it quickly became one of my favourite records. And when I went back and listened to everything else the band had done, the Cleontel quickly became one of my favourite bands. And so it's because of Kate that I find myself here presenting a podcast about the Cleontel. Um, Kate is so interesting to talk to because she's so passionate about music. And she's followed the Cleontel from the start, so it's great to hear her talk about what the band means to her. Uh, We actually originally met because Kate is a huge fan of a band I used to play in, uh, Gravenhurst, which was the project of my good friend Nick Talbot, who is sadly no longer with us, and I think there are some really interesting comparisons to be made between the Cleontel and Gravenhurst, so it was really good to have the chance to explore that connection. Um, So for lots of reasons, this is a really special episode for me this week, and I hope you enjoy it. So, on this week's episode of the Cleontel podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by my good friend, and the person who introduced me to the Cleontel, Kate Connolly. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Uh, very well, thank you. How are you? <laughs> very good, yes. Thanks for agreeing to do this in my quite small spare room, you know, but uh, <laughs> we're surviving. Um, yeah, good. So can we start by just telling us a bit about yourself and what you do and and your background with music, maybe? Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, I, um, I'm trying to think what my be most interesting really um i work for a music charity i work for a charity that helps musicians um which is really important to me um and music is the main thing in my life and always has been really um as much into music as you can be without making music Mm. um so yeah ever since i was kind of 13 really and um got massively into blur Mm. um because i was I grew up in the home counties and, you know, that's kind of, I felt that was what, what you did. Um, and also, yeah, the whole Blur versus Oasis um, rivalry. So I always kind of felt a bit at odds with everyone um, because everyone around me was really into Oasis and I just wasn't at all. Mm. Um, so I was, I've always kind of felt like a bit of an outsider, I guess, with the musical. Like, you know, when um, everyone really got into Radiohead in, like, 1997, didn't mm. they, with OK Computer? And I'd been into Radiohead with the Benz. And everyone's just like, that weird band that you like, they're, they're, they're crap, Radiohead. We don't like them. And then they all got into Radiohead overnight. But I still wasn't cool. <laughs> like, I was, not, you know, still bitter about that after all these years. Yeah. So it's like outsider vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. It's like outsider mentality that's mm. probably, you know, like, yeah helped me and hindered me in everything. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Yeah. Um, so where does the clientele fit into that? Where, oh. When did you first hear them and, and how does it fit into your well, gen- general music taste? Yeah, I was thinking about this. Um, and it was kind of weird and kind of fitting that actually my route to the clientele isn't a route that I think even exists anymore. So the the path that, that led me to them is not a path that I think anyone could follow in 2023. So I have a clear memory of 
um, I went to the first All Tomorrow's Parties Festival in 2000 mm. where Mogwai curated it. And there was this fanzine called Paper Cuts. And it was a very professional fanzine. It was run by a guy called Stevie Trousset, who writes for Uncut now, I think, and other publications. And it had um, this really beautiful CD, which had like a silver glitter cover and a bus on the front of it, a London bus. Um, And it was just full of kind of London bands of the era. So it would have been like 99, 2000 kind of London indie bands. And they really stood out, like, amongst all the other bands that now I can't even remember a single one of them that were on Mm. that compilation CD. But I remember the clientele, obviously, and that was my first... My introduction to them, it was the song Bicycles, Mm. which I think is quite... um, it's quite a common entry point, isn't it? Like, a lot of people seem to find that song is the first. I think it's a beautiful song, and it's definitely one when I first heard Suburban Light that really leaped out because of... It's got these classic chord changes in that seems to shift the whole mood of the song and it seems very representative of the way Alistair writes I think yeah yeah and I remember listening to it and thinking like oh what is that Mm. like what what is and I always kind of think about as well like I didn't you know and back then it can sound like really like ancient but it's like you know I couldn't just go on the internet and find how did they record how did they make it sound so old yeah because it to me it just sounded like it was from the 60s yeah I was like this must be an old band you know and it's not an old band and so yeah where I've kind of forgotten all the rest of those bands um I was like oh this is something special this is something new Mm. I need to kind of follow up and and then it's kind of I think you know just the usual finding like seven inch singles and things like that along the way um and finding my way to suburban light which was the compilation of their early singles Mm. and then that was just such an important record to me really um so yeah that was the kind of the the thing and I think like years later I've I finally you know obviously had the internet and I was like oh now I can find out how they made it sound like that and I found I think I've read an interview with Alistair where he said how they made it sound like that and I've spent every moment since like trying to forget it like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know like yeah. it's yeah it, it, it will ruin the mystery yeah so you've really been with them right from the start then yeah, yeah 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 I didn't know that's what I was doing yeah and it's so mad to think that stuff that sort of stays with you all your life you know it, you don't notice it you don't think this is going to be a groundbreaking you know this is going to be so important for 25 years or whatever Mm. it's just another thing and it's just when all the other things fall away like people I guess Mm. you know like when you kind of you meet someone really important but you don't know they're going to be important Mm. it's only years down the line that you look back on them and go that was really special that Mm. that meant something you know And, and for context what what did the other music at the time sound like from that all tomorrow's parties kind of scene um, I don't want to be rude in case anyone from fans <laughs> listens. <laughs> just kind of like um, sort of generic indie pop, right. really, and and not and with a the clientele, there's kind of a depth of feeling, mm. of emotion and intensity that that you don't find anywhere else. Or, yeah. Um, and I don't know how much of that filtered through to me at the age of seventeen, but certainly it's something that I've had cause to reflect on. Yeah, I um, think I think depth is a, a key word because my first experience with the clientele the first song i heard was since k got over me because someone put it on a mix cd for me in around 2005 and i liked it but i never followed up on it and it wasn't until you recommended suburban light to me um you know maybe five or six years ago 
I think I was asking on Twitter, can, what's your favourite autumn album? Yes. Because <laughs> there's always albums I listen to at that time of year, and you recommended Suburban Light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was five years ago. I looked it up. Was it? Yeah. Oh, right, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, and I remember being like, well, everyone knows that, yeah. but I'm going to say it anyway, even no. though it's such a cliche, but then you didn't know that. And no. That was... and, I, and the weird thing was I just, it felt like I knew it already when I heard it. And it made me think about the fact that I'd heard since K got over me from Strange Geometry, but had heard it on a very superficial level. Mm. And I think the Cleontella are a band where you can listen to them. Maybe if you listen to them once, you might think, oh, it's just an indie pop band or it's just a guitar band. But it is those repeated listens where you realise there is this extraordinary depth to the music, mm. I think. Does that mm. resonate for you? Absolutely. And it kind of makes me think as well, like I always kind of wonder to myself about how you form your taste and how you kind of think about the stuff that you love mm. and whether the stuff that you really love is just the stuff that you pay the most attention to. Right. The stuff that you give the most time to. Um, and seeing as many bands as I do, um, mm. you know, I think like... Or if you see the same support band for like five or six times because you happen to be following a band around, yeah. um, you have no choice but to get really into them because you're watching them over mm. and over again. So is it just a matter of attention? Like, mm. is, is that all your taste is, really? Yeah. Like, I think there's something in that. I, I, I feel like, you know, going really off-tangent here so early on, <laughs> when you go to a gallery and you stand in front of a painting for, you know, 20 seconds or something... It's very rare to get something from it, but when you have that painting in your house and you see it every single day, that's when the details of it start to come out to you and you can see, oh, this is why they did that, or oh, look at the way that balance is there. I think I think there's definitely something in that, that your tastes are the things you pay most attention to. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And with, um, I suppose, you know, attention being the most kind of valuable commodity yeah. in this permanently kind of distracted world, really. Mm. Like, it's the most kind of valuable and quite a rare thing, really, to be able to go into stuff. I think, and as well, it's like, when I listen to something like that, it's like, is it? Is there enough depth? Is there enough, if I go all the way into it, is there enough to meet me coming there? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, because, yeah, maybe that is the, the you know, there's stuff that you can enjoy on a superficial level, that's fine. But the stuff that allows you to go all the way in mm. and stay there for a while, that's the stuff that really gets to you. Yeah. And the clientele does that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I always bang on about them being a band that create their own world. Mm. Um, and then that's, yeah, that's... And... It's a difficult thing to describe because I've tried to describe it and it doesn't, it's, it's hard to do um, without sounding very self-involved and very solipsistic. But, um, and it's not about setting yourself apart from the world. It's about being totally immersed in the moment in a way, again, that I think is quite rare mm. um, to happen in, in this day and age. And being kind of at peace um, and at peace with kind of with being in the UK, you know, which isn't always a nice place to be, especially at the moment. Mm. Um, it's kind of how I, I don't feel great about being British. <laughs> like a lot of the time, I think there's so many 
rubbish things about being British, yeah. like, you know, and you think about how we appear to the rest of the world and, you know, like, you just feel like a total clown. But then when you <laughs> listen to the clientele, to me it's just like it's really kind of British, really English yeah. music and it's like, oh, no, but this is the real stuff, the kind of the English, like the quality of the light and the kind of the, you know, it's hard not to sound pretentious. Um, I hope I don't sound pretentious. Um yeah, the quality of the light at dusk, the mm. kind of landscape, nature, all that kind of stuff. Mm. I mean, yeah, I think that experience of hearing suburban light for the first time and recognising something in it, that's really powerful. The places, the slight sense of suburban boredom, maybe, the but the beautiful... The beauty of it as well. The, yeah. The sighing, you know, the sighing motorway. Yes. <laughs> the incredible line. But there's something you recognise in. It feels like it's a place you know, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. there being real places and mm. unreal places mm. and places with... I mean, I remember he mentions a bus route at one point and I looked it up and he's made it up. There's no bus route. <laughs> like, <laughs> Right. Um, well, that was on uh, Music for the Age of Miracles. He, yeah. he mentions a bus route. And I was just like, yeah, that's, you know, but the whole kind of, if we're on Delancey Street at night, like, yeah. you know, and I presume it's the one in Camden he's talking about. Yeah. And there's kind of a lot of Edinburgh, I think, on Suburban Light and, yeah. as well and mm. stuff like that. Um, I know it's fantastic. It just means an awful lot to me, really. Mm. Um, so it's kind of like a refuge, but not a self-indulgent one. It's not a, when I go to that place, it's not a, I'm being incredibly important and artistic. You know, mm. it's like I'm I'm not setting myself apart from stuff. I'm in everything. Um, I'm in the moment. I'm in the landscape. I'm in suburban, you know, mm. that suburban world. I think making the suburbs beautiful is just an <laughs> astonishing achievement. Yeah. Like, <laughs> That's what I, I suppose I recognise from what you're saying is that idea. It's a place you go, and there's a meditative quality to it, which is that it feels a bit like time has stopped. I was saying to someone the other day about "Bonfires on the Heath" is a song where I just never want it to end. I mm. always want to just be in mm. that song, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that song also feels somehow like it's never ending because yeah. of its repetition. Yeah, you can smell the air, can't yeah, you? <laughs> you really can. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's incredible. There's a really good... Actually, the the, the review of Bonfires on the Heath, uh, which is on, on Pitchfork by Jess Harvell. And it says... She says, Throughout Bonfires, it's as if the band's trying to beat the synesthetes at their own game, making making an album impossible to describe without using colours like ochre and umber and sunset red. <laughs> you may not be able to recall its melody without prompting, but damned if you wouldn't be able to describe the image it paints with lyrics you could inscribe on a matchbook. That's so good. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. Um, That's very true. It makes them so hard to write about. Yeah. So um, because you are writing about them at the moment. I'm trying to. So yeah. what's what's that for? Uh, it's for, um, I think, a book um, that might be coming out at some point in, in the future. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's 
difficult as you know as we've spoken about before because there's kind of a when that you've been going on as long as they have there's kind of a lexicon yeah um and when you read a lot of stuff about them like as i do um you kind of come up with the same words over and over again and it just feels you know if something's good enough to be cliched mm. you know if something's distinct enough to be a cliche you know that speaks to its quality itself but at the same time you don't want to i can't bring myself to go completely into purple prose and you know like i keep wanting to be like angela carter and be like i wrote purple prose so fucking what and i just can't do it i can't bring myself to do it um but, but what is yeah. what is is it a book about the clientele yes ah, yes yeah, yeah yeah so it's a, a it's different people contributing yeah i essays. believe so yeah. yeah yeah it's kind of a bit mysterious as mm. a lot of things about them are <laughs> <laughs> so but you're writing an essay about them so uh, there are certain words you're trying to... I mean, we, we talked about this, trying to avoid using the word crepuscular light. <laughs> crepuscular. <laughs> yeah, psychogeography. Psychogeography, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really difficult. It kind of... And it makes me have so much... You know, it really makes me realise how much I respect Alistair. Mm. You know, that he can go there, he can do that, he can... You know, maybe he does agonise for himself in his bedroom for hours mm. at a time, but he probably doesn't. You know, <laughs> he just has the confidence of his, his, his convictions. Yeah. Um, to be able to to say stuff and you know and I will always have my respect for um, you know just effortlessly blending like surrealist poetry mm. in with his own lyrics and you can't see the join yeah. or I don't think I mean I couldn't for 10 years yeah. um, like I've said you know there's that line you know like, like a golden ring thrown into the silver ring thrown into the flood of my heart mm. um, and I thought that was him mm. I was just and I would quote it to people I'd be like oh this guy He's, he's written this great line. It's like, like silver thring fl- ring thrown through a flood of my heart. And it wasn't him. It was this guy, Joe Bousquet. And I was just like, oh. But I thought, you know. <laughs> yeah, but it's all about that patchwork of things and, like, taking little bits from here and, you know. But I think that the, the thing Alistair does with language that's in common with the, those surrealists, and you can see why it's an influence, is he, he really makes things come alive and he can conjure a world with a few words. I think, like the stuff in the new album, the, my childhood, I think is so good, but the um, what's the amazing line? Oh, my childhood is a statue in the Italian garden, growing horns and coming to life. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good because it's almost like you can see it, like it's a snapshot from a film or something, and it's yeah. it kind kind of contains so much folk horror. It's almost like a a film in one sentence or yes. something. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally absolutely. brilliant. And also images as well where the words... He, he described something like putting words together so that the meaning collapses. But something mm. happens when you put those words together. Yeah, yeah. And the whole thing about... There was a recent interview where he was talking about getting... Reading stuff, getting it wrong or mm. misinterpreting it. But then your, interpre- your misinterpretation... Um, can actually something really interesting and new can come out of that. Yeah. And then I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't worry so much about getting the clientele wrong. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe that's what I'm meant to do. I'm yeah. meant to get them a bit wrong. You yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> so, suburban light obviously had a huge impact on you. Mm. What What was it like from then on? Were you just following the band and seeing them whenever you could? How was yeah, that? yeah. 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 I mean, they're a very, as you know, they're a very mysterious band, and they've been very they'll just kind of vanish for long periods of time and then just pop up. And, 
it's kind of what I really value about them because you don't, you know, there's not the hard sell, you mm. know, there's not the buy the limited edition, signed, blah, 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 you know. It's just they'll, you know, they'll show up once every seven years, there'll be a new album, a London show, mm. and they go back again and you don't hear from them for a bit and then they come up again. And it has the effect of everything seems like a gift. Right. Everything seems unexpected and new and... um and like whether by accident or design, it's a brilliant strategy, I think, really, um, to do that. And I mean, yeah, I remember when Strange Geometry came out, they played in Glasgow mm. when I was living there, which is incredibly rare. Like, I hadn't really fully realised, you know, how lucky I was to be able to go and see them at the Woodside Social. And I have a really clear memory, even though it was almost 20 years ago now, um, of... And see, I knew how important it was back then... And I remember them coming on stage and doing Since Kay Got Over Me. Mm. I remember sitting there and watching them um, in a way that I don't remember an awful lot of stuff that happened around that time. Um, so, yeah, and then kind of a really weird... I've spoken about this before, but um, they just would appear in, like, you know, I was in Topshop and, <laughs> and like, the video for Bookshop Casanova came on. I was like, this is so weird. Like, it's great. But, yeah. like, you know, and no one else is paying attention to it at all. And then, you know, they're just there in the cafe doing their thing. And there's, like, a you know, like a six-foot-tall Alistair and, and the band, all the rest of them, dancing in a cafe. And it was it was just perfectly incongruous. It was, it yeah. was wonderful. That's great. They seem to just make appearances in your life. Kind of yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So was that the first time you saw them, that gig in Glasgow? It, I reckon, yeah, it must have been. It yeah. must have been. There was a long period of time between me first getting to them and listening to Suburban Light and then me seeing them in Glasgow in 2005, I think it was. Mm. Um, and then that was... I mean, I should actually give my friend, my best friend, some credit because it was him playing Suburban Light a lot. That So Suburban Light makes me think of him an awful lot. Mm -hmm. It's not just, you know, me wandering around in a reverie, lost in the autumn leaves, <laughs> or my own thinking terribly important artistic thoughts. Um, it's about kind of our... <laughs> our kind of lifelong friendship really and when we first got to know each other we lived together mm. um and we'd sort of like sit and have dinner together and listen to that record over and over again mm. um yeah and so it brings back you know not just like feelings or moods or but people as well really mm. um yeah and he's still my best friend now so it's yeah <laughs> that's brilliant mm. Was there an element when you saw them live because you knew Suburban Light so well, was it very different to how you imagined they would be? Uh, no, I don't think it was. Mm. I don't think it was. I'd probably had a couple of Alka Pops as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing me at the age of 23 or whatever it was, um, I'm just thankful looking back that I had the now to actually go and sit and watch them because yeah. like I was daft enough to, to not at the time. Um, but no, I think, I think I sort of, I mean, just to, yeah, to give an idea of how ridiculously like back in the day this was, I found out about the gig on teletext. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be people listening who won't even know what teletext is. I know. You know. Mm. Yeah. Like in Oxfam, we have to, we have to put on labels that it's a CD. Mm. Because... So you work in Oxfam. Oh yeah, yeah sorry, yeah. I work in Oxfam. <laughs> yeah. And um, when I'm pricing up CDs and mm. DVDs, I have to put the label on because some of the younger volunteers don't know what CDs are. Wow. Yeah, yeah that was a... I had to go and sit <laughs> on my own in a room for a while and think about it. <laughs> <laughs> 
the, re- the reason I ask about seeing them live is because there are certain bands, and when Crawford writes about this somewhere, or she might have mentioned it somewhere, this idea that when she listens to broadcasts, she has such a specific idea in her head about them. And I almost had that, I had that with Loveless. When I listened to Loveless, I almost can't imagine that anything about the production of that record was in focus. Like the band themselves were completely out of focus at all times. Yeah. But there's something similar to the clientele that suburban like there's something so wonderfully vague and floaty about it and uh, woozy about it it's almost hard to imagine them being real people or yes. something <laughs> yeah know? yeah yeah <laughs> and being so unpretentious yes. and so kind of and funny as well yeah and yeah. funny and down to earth yeah. and, and everything else yeah which i guess is the secret mm. you know yeah the old yeah you don't take yourself seriously but you take the work seriously yes yeah that's it. You got my name. Pick up my number. Oh, come on down. Let's be lovers. So you mentioned earlier, you, I mean, you followed a few bands on tour. You, you, you followed Sparks on tour recently, didn't you? How many yeah, gigs was that? That was eight. Wow. <laughs> Brilliant. So, have you ever done that with a clientele? Have you ever followed a whole tour? No, I mean, I could have done it really easily, mm. like just by seeing one London show and <laughs> none for another seven years. <laughs> Probably I have by accident. Yeah. Um, I haven't done it for the clientele. Um, have you seen them a few times, though? Haven't but you? I have, yeah. yeah. So kind of the... So I've seen eight shows of the same Sparks tour. So I've seen wow. Sparks do the same show eight times. But my experience with the clientele is kind of more longitudinal I guess (laughs) so it takes in more different iterations of the band Um, then I remember a really special one was the ICA Mm -hmm. years and years ago and they played in front of um, Alice in Wonderland the black and white Mm. one and it really yeah it was wonderful Mm. and I think probably I think from his comments on stage Alistair didn't think it was that good but for me at the front it definitely was that good yeah um, and it's funny, isn't it? The gap between, you know, the perception of the performer and that of the fan mm. down the front and like how how you can experience the same thing, but in such different ways, really. Definitely. It feels like it's very important to, to Alistair and the, and the band that every gig is slightly different. Mm. They're, they're definitely not a band who just play the same set every time. No. Yeah. 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 I mean, have have you found that that the, I mean, certainly with certain songs where they really draw them out and and jam and they're, and they're very dynamic the way they play. There's lots of you know peaks and troughs and yeah, yeah, yeah. And it also they were the band above all else who kind of ebbs and flows is a better way of saying than yes. peaks and troughs. Sorry, <laughs> peaks yeah. and troughs. Um, but they really sort of taught me that because before I was really into them, I would have been like, oh, bands have to evolve, you mm. know bands have to you know they have to change their sound you know um and i would have taken that very seriously and i would have been like everyone has to be pj harvey everyone has to have a different sound for every album a different look for every album Mm. and then it wasn't till i was like if you could have if you have a central idea if it's good enough if it's important enough if it's special enough and then everything you do is just kind of waxing or waning or dialing Mm. up or turning down certain elements or finding different angles on it but the essential thing is the same, mm. and that's equally as valid and yeah. as valuable and as important. Um, and they really, yeah, 
yeah, really taught me that. So there's stuff that's really different and there's, you know, different band members come and go and different kind of instrumentation, different arrangements and stuff that I'm not musically trained or articulate enough to understand. Um, but the central core thing is is the same and that's kind of important and quite honourable, I think, really. Did you see them when Mel was playing with them? Yeah, well? yeah, yeah. She was playing with them at the ICA. Mm. I think that was the only time I saw them with Mel, actually. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and it was wonderful. Uh, the, um, yeah, her violin kind of added to it. Mm. I was really surprised when I spoke to her about how little preparation she had for those gigs. Oh, really? She was more or less improvising um, each night or told, you know. Oh. It was very... I mean, maybe not improvising, but... There wasn't much practice, I guess, before. But, I mean, she's obviously a very amazing musician. It could have only worked with, with that yeah. chemistry, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's, let's talk about the new album. Um, what did you think of? What do you think of the new album, and how how do you think it, it worked at Rough Trade the other night? Oh, it was yeah, it was wonderful, and it's kind of I can't, and again, I can't think of many bands on, and no one can agree on how many albums they've had at this point. No. I've seen anything from eight to ten. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but let's say it's their eighth album. Yeah. Um, and what I think really tickled me is getting the new album, and the sticker, the the blurb sticker on the front is like risks were taken yeah and i was like how many bands on their eighth album are like <laughs> risks were taken you know we're going to come right out and say it like that, and that's a quote from alistair as yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a so direct good. quote yeah. from from alistair and i thought that was brilliant yeah and risks it, were taken. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of like an artist i guess who might only work on an a4 bit of canvas mm. and then suddenly being like do you know what why don't we have a whole wall you know what's going to happen then yeah and being brave enough being brave enough to to take those risks mm. and to try those things. And I think they said, you know, in their usual self-effacing way, they bought a computer, Yeah, you know, and that was, that was the kind of the difference. Mm. Um, but then kind of throwing everything they've got and everything that they'd kind of felt and thought and kind of lived and loved and dreamed mm. at one kind of thing, I think it's just extraordinary, really. Mm. And the kind of the little... The things like the radials and the little kind of branching elements and the themes that just keep coming up all the way through. And um, I think it's just hugely ambitious and, you know, really quite, yeah, like laudably so. Mm. Like, yeah, maybe it's kind of a double-edged sword being such a critic's darling sort of band, but deserved, really. Absolutely. How did you think those songs work live? I mean, I, th I thought particularly Chalk Flowers was really nice. It was so... It felt so powerful, and it was also very fragile. Yeah. And I thought the the lyrics came across so well. You could hear the story, and the piano was really beautiful as well. Yeah. Um, and Garden Eye Mantra was great as well with the yes, the, you know, triggering the the samples and things. Yeah, yeah, and the church bells they've used those before, haven't mm. they? And it's so weird because I kind of even though it was only like the other week. I kind of can't, I was just in a kind of a reverie, really, so I can't really separate elements out and talk about particular songs and that kind of thing. Yeah. But, yeah, only that 
that it was great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's why I never became a journalist. <laughs> yeah, it was all right. Like. But you, you told me earlier you are writing up a little, what is it, 200 words oh, per gig you're yeah, going? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, yeah, I might not make it because I've got a backlog of 85 already. Oh, really? Um, wow. But yeah, so, um, yeah. So you haven't got to that gig yet? No, no it'll okay. take a, I'm not doing it chronologically, but even yeah. so, it's going to take a while. So, yeah, I set myself a target of 200 words for every gig I've seen to hopefully fix, like, in a moment of time what that particular thing was. Yeah. So that I've got it. And I might put it put it out, put it as a blog or a book or or something like that. But It sounds yeah. like you're Tristram Shandying. It's where <laughs> you get to the stage where you start writing the blog yeah. and you have to start writing about that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Or just like the poor guy in Middlemarch, like I get to the end and then everyone, no one cares and, you know, everyone's died and... <laughs> You know, like I've been superseded by many other people who've done the same thing, and like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's a good uh, segue to talking about the fact because your your background is, you did an English degree, and did you do a master's PhD? Yeah, yeah, I, I did a master's. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that was on B. S. Johnson, wasn't? It? Yeah, yeah, principally. So yeah, my master's was in modernities. Mm. Um, so kind of yeah, um, um, modernist and postmodernist literature mainly. Mm. Um, that's the kind of stuff that really, yeah, B.S. Johnson, Leonora Carrington, mm. um, kind of the stuff that really interested me, excited me. And, yeah, and luckily I didn't get PhD funding because that wouldn't have been the right path for me at all. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> but has that, how does that intersect with the clientele? Because there is obviously is a relationship there, I think. Yeah, actually the kind of the... When I was writing my dissertation on B.S. Johnson, um, the first bit of it, I found myself in a really kind of deeply creative space for one of the few only times in my life. So um, it was just a time where everything was flowing and everything was just like, I was pulling stuff out of the air, it seemed, and connecting it with other stuff. And I was like, this is great. This is all going exactly how I, how it's meant to. Like, I'm on something here. It's great, you know, in a way that I've heard musicians describe about their music and things like that um and I've never been able to get back there since <laughs> and when I got the mark back for the dissertation that bit of it I got a really good mark for yeah. everything else not so much you know <laughs> so yeah. yeah I mean B.S. Johnson is such a young person's young person's writer really mm. I think he's someone who really resonates with with you at a certain point in your 20s mm. definitely because it's that very black or white, you know, telling stories is telling lies, you know, so everything has to come from your own experience. Mm. And everything he wrote was um, him trying to solve a problem, him trying to solve a puzzle. Um, and that's something that really appeals, I think, when you're young. Mm. When you're older, maybe you get jaded, or hopefully I don't. But, you know, and, yeah, I've heard kind of people be very dismissive. But there's something just so pure and so honest, mm. really, I think, about him um, and his poetry and everything else. I mean, I would love to... There's this point when, in his diaries, like his diaries when he was 15 or something, when it just changes. So before, he was into motorbikes as as a young man. You mm. know, it's just like, it was, it's all motorbikes in his diary. Like, I went and saw this motorbike and it's great. And then overnight, almost, he's like, I'm going to be a writer. Yeah. And Didn't then, he have some kind of hugely transformative experience based on Robert Graves, the white oh, goddess, wasn't that? Yeah, 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 a very kind of spiritual 
mm. thing, Wales being pretty important to him. Yeah. But yeah, just wanting to know like what happened mm. when he knew he was a poet. He woke up, you know, <laughs> it was motorcycles one day and poetry the next. Yeah. Like what what happened? Like yeah. <laughs> Though he never stopped writing about football, did he? No, that's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But do you think there's a similarity in a way with the way Alistair writes, or is that or desperately trying to make it back about the Cleon <laughs> again? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the BS Johnson podcast. Yeah. Um, I think in his sort of, I think he's a very honest guy. Mm. I trust him as a, I trust him actually mm. in a, you know, okay, maybe I'll. I'll go to those places with him or I'll, you know, or if he wants to try something, I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll, yeah. He's someone, it's weird, isn't it? Thinking about trusting someone yeah. whose music you're listening to. I, I totally, I think that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. But you sort of feel like you're in safe hands. Yeah. Like he's not yeah. going to mess with you. He's not going to be, he's not going to trick you or fool you. No. And um, there's a complete resistance to trends as well, mm. isn't there? There's nothing, you know, it, it does definitely all come from the heart i think yeah i'm trying not to say authentic yeah but <laughs> damn <laughs> but yeah we all kind crepuscular, of crepuscular yeah. yes <laughs> real crepuscular honesty yeah. that's it all. yeah 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 and and actually kind of faith and kind of being true to that to that one vision i guess mm. yeah. again is something that they share yeah absolutely yeah i think that's something he said in the first episode is you know Said it almost offhand, but you know, I've always had this specific vision. I was like, "Oh, that's the interesting thing, isn't it?" <laughs> yeah, mm. he's always had a very clear idea about how he wanted it to sound. So you, you worked for Daylight Music in London? For yeah, I volunteered. I volunteered for Daylight Music, yeah. 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 Um, so can you explain a bit about what Daylight Music is? To oh, yeah. So Daylight Music is um, it's a pay-what-you-can live music event in London um, centred on churches. So it used to be at the Union Chapel um, when I kind of started volunteering in 27... No, 2016 it would have been. Mm. 2015, 2016. Yeah, and um, so, yeah, they put on kind of new music and um, kind of themed stuff, and it's very eclectic and very um, very adventurous. Mm. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a wonderful thing, and that's, you know, I met so many important people and, and yeah, had so many amazing experiences through that, really. Mm. And you put on Alistair for one event. Yes, yeah. yes, I did. I was very, yeah, I was very lucky and very grateful to be able to do that. Mm. Um, I think it was bit, it was before Music for the Age of Miracles came out. It mm. was in that sort of period because I remember he did um, The Age of Miracles in a very different... We filmed that, actually, and it's a very different version from the one that eventually ended up on the record. But, yeah, I was very, yeah, very glad to be mm. able to to book him for that and... Grateful that he didn't seem to particularly care that you know I was using my bonfires on the Heath email address to do <laughs> to do all that on. Like, <laughs> I remember he asked me if there was anything I particularly wanted to hear, and I have the worst track record. If anyone's like, oh, any song you particularly want to hear, and I'll invariably name something they've forgotten or they don't want or they can't play. Or, yeah. and I said I had to say this, which is you mm. know, and he's like, oh, I need the band for that one. So, <laughs> so I didn't I didn't get my song yeah. sadly. 
full. But that was at Union Chapel then. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah that it must was. have been amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was it was remarkable. Mm. I'd have to dig out the set list actually, I'll have that somewhere. Mm. Um but yeah, that was a that was a fantastic moment. In the age of miracles where all that you hear is the sound of the wind. Wind in the fields, but lightning is turned and the eeriness comes to the bowels of the earth and the places I love. Are there any particular lyrics that really stand out for you and that you really connect with? Oh, well. Yeah, loads of different periods of my life mm. um, and different kinds of contexts. And, like, I don't know about you, but I've always found that lyrics, like, they get stuck between my teeth mm-hmm. um, for a while. So I'll wander around and I'll just have that line in my head constantly. Yeah. And, I mean, the classic one is, you know, like, walking on a trampoline, yeah. you know, which is where, like, I know how that feels, yeah. you know. Of course you do, like, you always do. Um, I sometimes like muttering to myself E M P T Y down the street. Yeah, yeah. And do you find like um, you know, in the recorded version of Rain, there's that bit where it skips, mm. and it skips on the recorded version. Mm. I drove myself mad. I was like, oh, there's something wrong with this record, you know. And it's not. And then realised it wasn't the record. Yeah. It was the recording, and they've yeah. just left it in. It's just a little. It's um, like a little bit where the tape almost kind of cuts out or yeah, something isn't yeah, it yeah 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 and maybe nobody else has noticed it mm. uh, will ever notice it but um but yeah that drove me mad <laughs> um and then it's just kind of like you say the words out loud and they don't really sound that all of that but then you hear them in the context of the music you know like the whole like my friends say i'm wasting all my time yeah you know and it's just like yeah. But um, you know, you just say that, and it's just like that's not really anything, I is know it? What you mean, yeah. But yeah, this, again, it's that depth, isn't there? There's the superficial level, and yeah. but then when the more, it's, it's that paying attention thing, isn't it? And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And what's that song on Strange Geometry, where it's like, oh, I can't. It's the stuff about um, the living and the dead becoming each other, that mm. kind of thing. And I've googled that and i was like he's stolen that from somewhere and but i can't find any source for it yeah. so he must have you know that's just beautiful maybe that's the different song but the the night had brought the rain and the rain had brought the night as well that's very oh very yeah that's i can't seem to make you mine is yeah, it because that's the that. whole um the beast is pondering love 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 yeah till the rusty nail grows dim and like that's what? so good yeah that would be another one that i would have mentioned i was listening to bonfires on the heath and there's a, what the line about you heard god's voice in the avenue that's really good as well <laughs> good goosebumps for that i don't know yeah <laughs> there's something yeah. really brilliant about that yeah it's good stuff, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I wanted to, you know, talk about was obviously you, you got a lovely Gravenhurst tattoo there. Oh, yes. <laughs> but um, Gravenhurst is a band I used to play in, which was a solo project of a guy called Nick Talbot who was on Warp Records. Um, 
and the the funny thing because I was Nick was a very good friend of mine, and he's sadly no longer with us. Um, but the the striking thing about doing this podcast and talking to Alistair so much is just how much he reminds me of Nick. Actually, There's a lot of similar interests. I think that mythology, the thing you were talking about, about Englishness or Britishness, or mm. something of that in there. Um, and I just wondered, as a Gravenhurst fan, did, did, did you see a comparison there with the clientele? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I mean, in terms of, you know, being, going to that world, going to that place, mm. you know, not, not the same one, but closely aligned. Yeah. You know. Um, and I remember, I think I read an interview with Nick where he was talking about, you know, Gravenhurst is... Is 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 a place, you know. I mean, not just the physical place in Bedfordshire, yeah. but it's you know, it exists yeah. outside of him, and it's you know, and it's a similar kind of thing of the eerie, isn't mm. it? Like the the English eerie and yeah. the kind of the, yeah, they're kind of, yeah, yeah. It's the same kind of thing. It's the mm. same thing that I really value in both of them. Yeah, for definite. And although like Gravenhurst music is a lot more kind of dark and and I guess morbid on occasion mm. um, than, than that of the clientele. There's the similar... Yeah, yeah. They're definitely closely aligned, I would say. I think so, yeah. Yeah, you're right that there's de- definitely a lot darker themes in Nick's music who's, you know, obsessed with <laughs> Jack the Ripper for one yeah. and stuff like that. But, you know, there's a lot, a lot of darker songs. But there's definitely... I mean, I, I, I messaged... Nick's manager actually Michelle just to because I, I really wanted to know if Nick knew of the clientele or liked them because I'm sure he would have liked them if you know um but I think particularly when I heard the new album so much of it reminded me of Nick um there's a great song of Nick's called Animals and it mm. just ends with a brilliant line I wonder what I'm doing right now which is very eerie but it's so similar to the that atmosphere that Alistair's going for with the new album of not being real or being outside yourself, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's definitely yeah. A, a quality of that. Yeah, and that's actually my favourite Gravenhurst song as well. Is it? Like, yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. I find it quite hard to listen to Gravenhurst stuff yeah. now, obviously, but... Um, yeah, I just, you know, I think there's a real connection there and it's it's just kind of strange to notice it now really. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and a lot of flashlight seasons mm. i think you know speaks mm. to a lot of the clientele stuff like i turn my face to the forest floor yeah. and and things like that yeah that's mm-hmm. yeah and i think that idea as well we talked about the specific vision nick always had a real very clear idea of what he wanted to do which reminds me of alistair and of how he wanted it to sound I think I said to you the other day about this thing where Gravenhurst Review talked about how warm the record sounded or something, the analogue warmth of it. And, and Nick said, I want it to sound cold. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that. But, uh, yeah. Um, yes, anyway, we could play a, bit, a little clip of Gravenhurst now maybe. Oh, yes. <laughs>
Oh, the other thing I was going to say about Nick as well was the, the song Chalk Flowers as well, I think, on the new album. I think there's something... I don't, Nick talked about he wanted to write a children's story at one point. Mm, all right. And when I first heard that Chalk Flowers song on the new album, I thought, God, that sounds so much like the kind of thing he would have done, I think. Mm. So that was why that song particularly... I feel like I really latched on to that song and found it very powerful, really. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. Because it has that quality of children's literature and feels like a children's story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. It's so weird, isn't it, to think of bands and artists and people just kind of, you know, that might have an awful lot in common. Maybe they never meet or, mm. you know, or maybe, you know, there's so much stuff that might really speak to you that you might never hear or yeah. never experience. Yeah, yeah. And what is it about stuff that hits you at the right time, the right spot, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Ooh, favorite Cleontel album. <laughs> favorite Cleontel album. Oh, it's oh, it's gonna have to be. Oh, strange Geometry. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I think I might go for that one to be honest. As yeah, well. I would be kind of yeah. I feel a bit ashamed of myself because I kind of feel it should be something more recent, but. <laughs> There's something about it that I just yeah. can't, yeah, I can't let go of, really. Yeah, I think every song is so good on it. Mm, mm-hmm. Every song is so good. And it's that perfect mix of, they've shed the lo-fi kind of production stuff, but it still sounds, it still has the same quality. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Some bands, not the clientele, but I think they lose it when they stop recording things in a bucket you know mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like oh we've got this great professional studio now and it's like oh maybe i like the bucket more yeah i think they've always taken such care with the production though haven't mm-hmm. they it's yeah. always been very important how it sounds yeah mm. yeah no it's funny because i have no kind of musical like background or training at all so i completely you know i'm not i come to it with no knowledge at all really yeah of so it's weird really and I've always kind of, when I've tried to learn music theory, mm. and I just end, I'm just like boxer in Animal Farm. Like I learn A B C D, and then when I try and move on to E F G H, I've forgotten A B C D. Like and it just doesn't work. Did you read that interview in Our Culture that Alistair did? It was so it was so good. That's such an amazing line he said in it, which was, um, I mean, this just sounds like it could be a clientele spoken word song, but I remember driving on a bus through Stamford Hill and looking out at a bus stop idly as we drove past, and I saw the face of a girl who was a Hasidic Jewish girl, and I never have forgotten her face. It's not like I wanted to marry her or anything. In a way, it's not even really romantic. It's more just... I never, ever forgot it, and I know that I will always remember it. It is so inexplicable. These kind of encounters, again, they're chance, but they feel as if they have some kind of external nudge towards them. It's the kind of thing that inspires me to write without necessarily having a full understanding or belief in it. Wow. That's really good, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. I totally get that. It's the inexplicability. It seems to be a word he uses a lot, and... 
to describe what he does, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And paying attention to, like, tiny little things yeah. that other people wouldn't notice or wouldn't yeah. particularly set any store. And it kind of reminds me of, like, I think one of the nicest chance encounters I've ever had in my life. Um, it was in 2005 when I was living in Glasgow and I was heartbroken and deeply depressed. Um, and <laughs> I was out in um, Finiston, like, getting some groceries and this guy just came out of the shop and just, he smiled at me. Mm-hmm. And But it was the nicest smile that anyone's ever given me. Yeah. And it was just this fleeting second of, you know, oh, that's really nice. And yeah. then, you know, I didn't speak to him or anything, just went on away. But I've never, ever forgotten it, yeah. like, similarly, you know. Um, and it just really, you know, and then trying to explain it to people afterwards, it's like, he smiled at me like no no but it's, no no I don't fancy him no it's yeah. not like that no it was just a nice smile it was just a, a human connection yeah. you know and and it's mad yeah like he's not going to remember that no one else is going to you know remember it but it's still with me after all those years mm. it's crazy it's like maybe that's it's a kind of wits and weddings thing isn't it that that brilliant Larkin poem is just about being present for those human connections or something. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's hard to do, and it's sometimes it's horrible, and sometimes it's just it's just too much to be present. Mm. And I find myself like just deliberately switching off, and deliberately and being aware that people are trying to get that from me, and being determined not to give it to them mm. because I can't handle it. Um, but then when you are, you know, in that kind of moment where you feel more. I think kind of the the challenge of getting older is just staying open. Mm. Um, It's staying, you know, in touch with your ability to be emotional, to be vulnerable, to be kind of open to to life, really, because so many people aren't. Um, So many people, they just shut down and they're not willing to encounter or envisage anything new or anything out of the ordinary. Mm. Um, And it's something that's, like, become really important to me in the last couple of years or so. And I kind of try and live my life like that. And sometimes I fall on my face and it's really embarrassing. Um, But ultimately I wouldn't swap it, you know, because I feel like it's how you have to be. Thank you so much for listening to the Cleontel podcast. Uh, There's a really lovely quote from Nick Talbot in a Mojo interview uh, where he's talking about Ian Curtis, where he says... He didn't seem to be talking about this world, but one that existed alongside it. And I always really loved that idea, and I think it applies to Alistair's songs too. Anyway, next week it's our penultimate episode of the podcast, and I'm going to be speaking to some former members of the Cleontel, Dan Evans, Innes Phillips, and Mel Dracy. So see you next week. The Cleontel podcast was produced, edited, and mixed by me, with help from Johnny White and Dave Collingwood.